Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we're both card carrying members of the Infertility Club. day good day to you friend good morrow good morrow to all our listeners indeed how are you doing buddy i'm okay thanks mate i'm okay how are you yeah i'm good 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 yeah uh, yeah not bad just been for a run oh really uh, yeah you. I, know. I know what a twat um <laughs> yeah so feeling medium smug medium smug that's a good level to be yeah it's not insufferable place. but not no. like feeling bad about yourself Exactly. It's actually perfect. Yeah. Um, I feel like Goldilocks. Um, how are you, mate? <laughs> well, I've had... Well, I've, I mean, I've had a really boring week again. Like, I finished okay. my first craft project. I started my second craft project just because I'm bored. But um, I also have gone deeper into the, like, thinking about pregnancy. Um, pregnancy... It's not the green-eyed monster per se. No, it's just the general monster. Yeah, yeah. Pregnancy monster. Yeah, the pregnancy monster. Basically, I found myself the other day googling, has anyone ever got pregnant after their tubes were tied? Mm, I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation before. Yeah, it feels like I'm covering all ground. Did Did you find a different answer? Well, I... I used a different search term, yo. Um, so I used, instead of after tubes tied, I okay. used after tubal ligation, which is oh, the wow, correct you used, you term. You used the scientific term. I used the scientific term. And Dr. Google told me that I have a 1% chance of getting pregnant. Oh my God. After tubal ligation. Have you also been having sex? We have had sex occasionally, yes. Oh my God. Um, but also... Um, so my mad brain obviously went well you know now that we're not trying for a baby I'm quite relaxed about it so maybe oh I'll... god like literally literally that thought crossed my mind 
like got into your brain. They've got into your brain. It's after everything that we have learnt over the last two years of doing this podcast. What is wrong with me? Yeah, it's a tough one, mate. And then you get the old, well, wouldn't it be so nice to just surprise my family? Yeah, yeah. Did you run through how you would do it? Did you, um, was it just pure joy? The, the feeling of potentially being pregnant where you're like, oh, this is great. Or you're like, well. Yeah. Okay. Mate, yeah. I, I, like, I don't want to overshare here, but my period hasn't come back. Okay, yeah. So that's that's like another layer of impossibility. Yes, but also a layer of um, mystery and not knowing, right? Because you're like, yeah, well, I don't I have could my be period. pregnant right now. Don't have my period, so uh, you know. I've been feeling unusually tired. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That didn't I d- take I very l- long. I don't did know it? what's wrong with me. But now, ask me whether I want to be pregnant. Do you want a baby? No, not particularly. I like the one I've got. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I just think brains are mental. Well, I think it's it's your history combined with probably hormones, right? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I just, I think that you just get stuck in this infertility rut and you're just there forever. Like mm. when I'm 75, mm. am I going to be Googling, <laughs> can I get pregnant after the menopause? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. After I just... Being in a- in a hot tub at the geriatrics conference I just went yeah. to, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, I just I, I just think it's stuck with me forever. Like the more the more I go on, the more I realise this this is who I am now. Mm, it's totally true. Um I I wrote a thank you card to my clinic yesterday. I saw that. Yeah. Which I thought was um do you know what inspired well, inspired me, but when I heard Matthew Hancock talking about um IVF at the daily briefing on just Friday, just gone. Yeah. I got totes emotion, as I'm sure most people did. I can't um, believe we haven't mentioned that yet. And I remembered that I've been meaning to send a card to Kings to thank them because it's just mind blowing what they did for us. And it, it is just, mind blowing. And you know, I was sitting there and I just yeah, just got way emotion. So yeah, I'm sending a card to Kings. Um and then Kings on Instagram, uh, yeah, did lots of nice posting of my card, which I was I like, saw that. oh, so nice. Um, yeah, so so IVF potentially back on. Shall I tell you what my sources in clinics have told me? Yes, please. So I've spoken to a couple of clinics because I'm a journalist, guys. Like, I can't help it. It just happens. I've got to ask the questions. Journalizing. So, there's a bit of confusion because the way the HFEA phrased it was from the 11th of May, clinics can apply to reopen. And what what on earth does that mean? So the the people I've spoken to say they've they're kind of getting their paperwork ready now. They're making sure they can meet the HFEA's criteria. They say they reckon it'll be about a two week turnaround. Okay. So they think they'll be able to submit their paperwork and then two weeks later they should be able to reopen. What isn't clear is whether NHS clinics will be able to reopen. Um, um. So, like a few people I've spoken to suggest that private clinics will be able to reopen fairly swiftly. It may be longer for NHS clinics just because their staff are being used, like anaesthetists and things like that, oh, are yeah, being okay. used by other departments. Um, some of their equipment is being used by other departments, so it's going to be harder for them. Well, if you 
if you believed Matthew Hancock, you would think that it would be NHS services, because that was his whole thing, was like NHS services across the board are reopening, including, mm-hmm. you know, IVF services. So you would hope that that would come to fruition. But I suppose there are logistics, right? There are logistics and there's just a, character, a characteristic lack of clarity, which oh, I feel yeah. like we're seeing a lot of. Um, for those clinics that can open as soon as possible, that's just the most brilliant news. The most brilliant news. And so exciting for so many people who've just really taken a knock from this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, On to the show. On to the show. Let's. Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, one of the most powerful interviews we've done, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, There's so much in it. Uh, There's so much in it, yeah. You will be very angry at parts. Yeah. And you'll be very sad at parts. It's a big one. It's a big one. I think we were, <laughs> I was just texting you my rage all the way through the edit. So we did this interview with Kemi Aloe, um back in July last year, a really long time ago. And for various reasons, we weren't able to include it in our series. We are talking, at, you know, trigger warning, we are talking about cancer and fertility. There's a couple of points that she makes in it um, that we've kind of sought to address. So one of the things that... I, d- I don't even know if she makes the connection, but there's certainly a kind of hint of a, of a connection between IVF and cancer. Um, we've actually spoken to Professor Tim about it after. In fact, Gabby's spoken to Professor Tim about it after the interview, so please keep listening if you want any of those points clarified. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's you know, something that everyone kind of worries about when they hear it. I know I mm-hmm. certainly did. Um, so do, I think... Professor Tim is quite reassuring about it, so so yeah, do do give that a listen. Absolutely. The other the other point that she makes that um I could I literally I looked so much for studies about this but couldn't find anything was um there's a point where she talks about PCOS and taking the pill. Um I couldn't find any connections between the two or any anything to suggest that people with PCOS shouldn't be taking the pill. I imagine that most of our listeners who do have PCOS aren't taking the pill because they're trying to get pregnant. Um Although, obviously, down regulation, a lot of clinics suggest that people go on the pill. So if you're worried about that, I suggest you speak to your doctor. Yeah, absolutely. I think also this episode is one of those, you know, it's all those women who've kind of had pain that's been dismissed as women's troubles all their life and, um, you know, and had chronic pain. I think this is this is one for them as well, because it's, oh my God. Um, it's just infuriating, man. I I got so angry listening to it, um, editing it, and and not obviously speaking to her. Um, But yeah, like, it's just so powerful. And it's such a, it's so kind of her to share her story with us. Because I, you know, I think it was very difficult. Yeah, definitely. Which you can hear. Um, Okay. And we've also obviously got the foxes this week. Yeah. So they are talking about the kind of you know, the implications of egg donation, what what it means for someone to donate their eggs and what it means for somebody to take a donor egg. It's quite an interesting conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. And obviously, Professor Tim, we are talking to him about, about cancer this week, so. Yeah, a nice light-hearted one. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, well, guys, I think uh, that's it, really. Enjoy the show. And whilst you're enjoying it, maybe double screen and uh, follow (laughs) us on some Instas. At Big Fat Negative. On some Twitters. At Big Fat Negative. On some Facebooks. B 
Big Fat Negative. Well, you could always email us. Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you'd like to rate and review the podcast, we'd love that. And if you want to hit subscribe, we'd love that too. Damn straight. Um, let us know if you've got any feedback for this episode because we'd love to hear your stories. Yes, definitely get in touch, guys. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you? What are you laughing at? <laughs> I don't know. It's not funny. This is very serious. Okay. What have you been up to this week? Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. It's not been a very fertility heavy this week, no, has it? it's been quite a normal week. It has. But obviously I had to change that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what did I send you? An interview. Do you want to elaborate no, on that? No, that's just an interview. <laughs> um, you know, it was an interview with someone who had donated eggs... Yeah, so they donated... Essentially, that was the interview. Yeah, so they donated their eggs to assist somebody else... Yes. ...in hopefully having a family. Yeah, anonymous... Well, as anonymous as you can be, not, like, donated to a friend. Yeah, so she weirdly, I think, donated to the egg bank that we potentially would use. We had a look. We had a look at, if you remember, um, which I thought was quite relevant... But what did you think listening to the interview? It was interesting to hear from the other side. Um, I think it raised concerns of the involvement, maybe. What or the perceived involvement. Okay. Because the idea is you are donating an egg and that's a great thing to do. But as far as I'm concerned, that's where the connection ends. Yeah, but I suppose because it's not an anonymous process... No. It's kind of not where the connection ends. Like, you, I guess you have to... It's there in, as part of your family, like, every day, isn't it? Yes. It, you know, if you're successful. Kind of. But then I don't want like to be thinking that you think about that every day. Just go on with it. I suppose... It's a bit of a learning curve for everybody involved, I guess, isn't it? Because you just have to, like, normalise it. It would just have to be, like, just a thing that happened and that's how you created your family. Yeah. Not necessarily how you, like, raise your family. I don't know yeah. if that's the right way to put it. Well, yeah, you get, you have to be open about it, but how often did your parents talk about how you came into the world? Christ, never, thank Good. God. Exactly. God, I can't so, even imagine that. That would be horrific. Why would it be any different? Well, that's very true. That's very true. What what jumped out at you? Um, I think it's probably something similar, really, but not necessarily the donor's reaction. Because um, I think she was quite pragmatic about it. She was like, I just wanted to help people, which is fab, and that's kind of the way I would look at it, I suppose. It was more the, the reaction to her. Um, and, and that's one thing that really worried me. Like, I know that you wouldn't be spreading the news... Like, all over the shop, saying, oh, you know, my child is conceived via an egg donor. But I think there obviously are people in your life that you'd have to be quite open with. Yeah. And I guess I would just be really, like, nervous of their reactions. Like, 
I don't know, like, would I feel less of a parent? Would I feel less of a mother if I had people questioning me about the fact that the egg wasn't mine? I don't think people, especially people close to us, would really care. They'd just be happy. No. And the other thing, actually, as a consequence of, the, you know, kind of coming across this interview, was... Weirdly, I was watching an episode of Call the Midwife nice. last night. I'm not a fan. No, which I guess is a weird thing for an infertile person to watch, but I do love it. Anyway. I, I wouldn't like even if I have five kids. It's not for me. Well, yeah, I know that. You just yeah. let me watch Sunday, it. Sunday evening TV. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to my original point. Right, sorry. Um, obviously, there was a birth because it's called a midwife. And the guy said, um, oh, she's beautiful, just like her mother. And I was a bit like, oh, people wouldn't say that to me if it wasn't well, my egg. Yeah, they're not necessarily saying they look like their mother. They're just saying they're beautiful like their mother's beautiful. Yeah, but, you know, they're supposed to look alike, aren't you? No one looks like their parents and their babies. Do you think I'm overthinking this? A little bit. Yeah, maybe it's cause, <laughs> maybe it's because I was a bit sensitive. Yeah. Like, kind of experienced this, you know, kind of coming across this interview and thinking, oh, this would be really great because I'll get to hear about the other side and hopefully it'll help me to make up my mind. But actually, it just raised like loads more questions. Like, how are people going to perceive me? How are people going to... Like, am I going to get judged for it? Are people going to make silly comments that are going to upset me? I mean, I get those anyway, but... Do you know what I mean? It's just... I don't know. I guess it's a bigger minefield than I originally thought it would be. And this kind of interview exacerbated it, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think once you've been successful, I think there's a certain point where you've just got to draw a line and just get on with it and enjoy it yeah not worry about what everyone else thinks yeah because at the end of the day I suppose you'll just be you've become parenting yeah you, you've become their mother as soon as it goes inside you hmm. I think yeah I suppose I just kind of I don't know when you were talking about adoption the other week and you were like they talk a lot about, more about parenting than they do about conception obviously because it's adoption but I think I kind of would be a bit guilty of just focusing on the conception element when it came to came to a donor and hadn't really thought too much about the kind of implications of it, which I guess is why you do this implications counselling. But I think maybe I'm overthinking the implications now. It is your nature. <laughs> it is my nature. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway... That was kind of the main thing we did this yeah, week. I sort of was quite surprised that you listened to it, actually. Thanks. You, you sent it to me and I listened to it. Yeah, but I sent you stuff before when you haven't listened to it, so... <laughs> <laughs> this seemed important to you, so oh, I... Uh, thanks. Had a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd gone out. Oh, I thought you might have listened to it in the car with your colleague. I did think that was very bold of you. Why would you think I listened to it in the car? Because you're really open with him, aren't you, about the circumstances? Yeah, I wouldn't listen to an interview about it. What, in the car with him? Yeah. Just have a general discussion about yeah. it. <laughs> anyway, I was very pleased that you listened to it, and hopefully you got something from it. Yeah, it was interesting. 
It was interesting. I think I just, I don't know, I suppose I'm quite curious to know the sort of person who may donate to me and their reasons for it, I guess. Yeah, I think all that comes at the start and then um, I like to think you just move past it all and then it's your own. Because it is nice to know some things about who who's donating, but... Well, I guess you have to because, you know, like, ultimately because you're going to normalise it and it's going to be part of how, like, you know, how, like their identity and everything, they need to know a little bit about the person that they came from, I suppose. Yeah, and don't you, don't they write a letter to Oh, yeah, the that child? was the other thing from, from the, from the interview, they're talking about a letter, like a letter that they wrote. Yeah. Which I did not even know was a thing. No, I didn't know was a thing. It was quite cool. It is cool. I think it's always drawing that line between what it means to biologically be a parent and what it actually means to be a parent and are those two things equal? Well, no, no. not in this situation, no. they're not. I wouldn't have thought. So you kind of think you are... The whole point of donation is to... It almost makes the... You can't, it just helps you be a parent, but the biological... You need someone else to do the biological thing. Yeah. But that that's not so important it's just there to serve a purpose yeah because I guess you can kind of almost get embroiled in I, I don't know competing with the biological element of it I suppose mm. does that even make sense yeah like you're trying to live up to an expectation of because I couldn't do the thing I was supposed to do i.e. produce an egg that would successfully produce a baby you are almost like trying to prove yourself as a decent parent in other ways I, I mean I, I don't know I'm kind of speculating here as to maybe how I would feel or but I, I, I don't know I like, don't know if it's just since it's we've been sort of told that we can't have our own biological children well you can no, I'm not 100% sure we're not 100% sure, but we're like 80% But Well, I mean, between sure. with both of us... Yeah. I think I almost... I'm taking a bit of a step back from the whole bio, biological look at it anyway. And it's more important just to... Just to be parents. Yeah. How are you kind of... How are you doing that? How are you kind of mentally taking that, that step back? Have you consciously kind of done that, do you think? I don't know, because I, I think I always saw, like, adoption as an exciting avenue. Mm. And I think, I don't know whether I've just had that sort of sadness and I want, and I want to move past it. Mm. So I focus more on something else. Yeah. And I don't know, it just seems like a more feasible thing to focus on rather than this IVF, which has really caused nothing but sadness at the moment. Do you mean like IVF specifically yeah. the way that we've yeah, done it previously? Yeah, what we've done it in the past, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really, like, I, I don't think I didn't, like, realise that you'd done that. Well, I'm still a bit sad about it. There's still, like, um, 
not so I really want to like I, I'm still really excited by the prospect of using do, donated eggs but I think there's a little bit of me that's the whole I wanted a child with you yeah I mean but going back to what you said before you are technically having a child with me yeah because we will be the ones parenting yeah, it's and just, bringing that get, yeah up. it's just getting having that mindset it's the same with adoption really mm. it's just it is ours yeah but it's we've had to I don't know I don't know some it's just it's almost like you've closed, closed the door on one one of the options yeah that was there before I um, think yeah that's the one thing that just made me double take or take a step back to think could I actually do this was obviously like I was saying earlier like the responses to um this lady who donated her eggs and, and actually you know there's at least been one successful pregnancy from it and the reference to oh how do you feel that there are lots of mini or there could be lots yeah. of mini U's wandering around this earth because obviously donors can give to up to was it yeah. 10 families so that could that is a possibility but I, I just got quite upset about yeah, it yeah I, I think thought, that was uh, oh wait a minute because I think well there aren't many use because yeah. they're not your child you can't I don't know it was quite difficult to think that she may see them that way yeah I think that's that's it it's um yeah she I may have that what, claim yeah that I don't might not have or I don't have well you will have it's just someone else it's a different claim yeah yeah it's uh, yeah I didn't think of it like until it was mentioned on that is that how people look at it I th- yeah I think it was just gave me pause for thought and made me think twice about can I cope with that can I accept uh, yeah. that can I deal with that and I, yeah I, I don't think they sh- there should be a claim like that no, and certainly the donor herself didn't. No, you know, didn't kind of appear to have any um, thoughts along those lines. I think she was genuinely just quite glad to sort of be able to assist. I suppose. Yeah. So that was quite nice, and I think that gave me a bit of reassurance that, yeah. you know, it's as with infertility, it's about people's reactions to you, and sometimes. You I know, think that's what what we're thinking now. Because we're in the middle of it, yeah. But I don't think I think when when it happens for us, if you won't, it won't matter. Yeah. No. Every family's got their own issues anyway. That they're worried people judging. Of course they do. Judging them about. Yeah. Anyway, on that cheery note, um, we are. What are we doing next week? Oh, we've got our follow-up appointment, haven't uh. we? absolute exhalation <laughs> of despair there <laughs> um, yeah so we've actually finally it's just going to be someone metaphorically kicking me in the balls again I know but you're not going to be there this time I'm phoning in you're phoning in literally yeah um, so after after our failed uh, round in November uh, we are finally having our follow up appointment with the clinic so um, yeah we'll uh Nick's going to phone it in. He's yes. in Birmingham for training with work. So, um, yeah. We'll I'll probably up. step out of training for it. But, um, you sure? Yeah. Just put it on speakerphone. Yeah. 
I'm sure all I the think other... it comes just before training starts. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure all the other graduates would just love to yeah. hear what happened in, in my womb in November. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll update you guys on that next week. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Missioning over from Essex. Yeah, it's worth it. It was worth looking, worth looking at the colourful houses. Oh. Yeah. Oh. She has struggled through the rain today. I oh, know it's not nice it's out not there. Not nice out there. No. Happy British summer time. Oh gosh, it is summer. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry, you would oh, forget. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be forgiven. Forget. <laughs> um, so obviously, we start all our questions, uh, all our interviews on this podcast by asking about your journey. Yes. Okay. Um, yours has been very long and winding. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. Um, <laughs> I start from the very beginning. I started my period at 12, okay. and they were always irregular. It okay. was very painful. Um, and sometimes it would be for two weeks. Sometimes it would come for two months in a row and then disappear for two months and then oh. come back. Um, but I found that I was always at the GP just trying to figure out what was going on yeah and um he just kept saying you're not it's normal you're young really yeah oh my god that's ridiculous yes it will regulate itself come back later and he'd always give me paracetamol um just to say here just take the paracetamol it will help the pain which it never did um and then each time I went back, he just kept saying, it's because, you know, you play a lot of sports, a lot of athletes don't get their periods. What? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I only played basketball and was on the badminton team, and that was it. So you weren't, like, doing, like, lengthy training sessions every yeah, day? Yeah, running marathons. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Um, so I think towards the end of secondary school, I think that's 15 or 16, mm-hmm. he then began to give me cocodamol um, and said, you know, oh, take this. Oh, wow, so just upping the painkillers, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take this. So I took that with... <laughs> I think I, there were times when I did take it with paracetamol just okay. because I, f- I was in that much pain. Yeah. Um, and I'd noticed that I, I would balloon from maybe a size 8 
to a size 14 and this is all age 15 16 so it was just it was just I found it really really strange and I'd noticed that I would always be bloated as well um and then by the time I got into college Mm -hmm. um again I was still on the cocodamol paracetamol to be fair that is the good ship the cocodamol it it, it, it is nice but not when you're (laughs) taking it like every other day (laughs) and it becomes your regular and then I introduced ibuprofen right yeah and then um he then gave me diclofenac wow Wow. I haven't even heard of that one yeah um so is um it's I think it's an anti anti anti-inflammatory and it's this little orange pill so he gave me that and then um I think by the time my mum had really shouted at him and you know, said that we had to do something about it. He then referred yeah. me to um, the local hospital. Um, and I can't remember what test they did, but they didn't come back and say anything. It was right. just, there's nothing wrong with you. Oh, great. Um, so by the time I was in maybe my final year of college, I think that's about 18, mm-hmm. um, they sent me off again for some more tests um, after, you know, going to A&E with really bad stomach aches. Um Age 19, first year of uni, they finally said you have polycystic ovary syndrome. Got it. So that had taken how long? Um, from 12, let's just say from 13 to 19. Wow. Six years? Yeah. Okay. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Of just, it's normal, it's normal, it's normal. It's not normal. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, so what did they do? So they diagnosed me. And I remember saying to the consultant, what does that mean? And he said, it's, um, it's a hormone imbalance. Um, it just means that you'll have extra facial hair or body hair. Um, you'll put on weight quite easily and you might have problems having children in the future. And that was it. And I was like, oh, okay. And literally that's just how I felt. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just because yeah. you didn't make it seem like it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And then, just, this, just all these yeah, things. Just, like, just yeah. infertility. Yeah. 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 And, and like you're a 19 year old girl and they're telling you you're hairy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was I was already battling with the under chin hair and he said, Oh don't worry, you can either wax it or pluck it. Oh. And I thought, okay. And I don't know why I didn't ask too many questions. I think at that point I just felt like you're the medical professional, yeah, so you know yeah, best. Absolutely. Yeah. So um second year at uni I just passed out with really bad pain and the ambulance had to come and get me. Oh my God. And they took me to Kingston Hospital and there was and they did loads of investigations and they said look you have PCOS it's quite serious you've got um, a large um, cyst which we think that that's what's causing the pain okay. we're going to operate tomorrow morning oh my god and I was like oh right okay wow. so this thing is really serious um, so the following morning they did a scan and it seemed like the cyst had just dissolved itself so they didn't need to operate and I thought okay this is weird that is weird <laughs> very weird um, they discharged me they sent me they referred me back to my own GP we did some more tests and again I said okay so what is what can help me and he said mm. well only if you go on the pill and I said oh, I don't want to go on the pill mm. I, I really don't want to and at that at that at that time I think especially with the connotations of the pill mm-hmm. I just felt that oh if I go on the pill people are going to think I'm having sex I don't want people oh. to think I'm just having like random yeah. sex and um, he said no it's just going to help you it'll give you a period every month and um, it will take away the pain it'll make you lose weight and he sold me so many benefits I just thought let's just do this yeah um, so I accepted it and I didn't actually tell my mum for quite a while just because I didn't know what she'd say oh yeah um, and then but it didn't actually take away the take away the pain so let's just fast forward years of taking the pill I got married at 26 um, and my husband and I said that we 
we would wait a couple of years before we started trying for children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to travel, just oh, yeah. have fun, and yeah. just like get to know each yeah. other. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Just go spend some time for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It, it just seems the most logical thing to do, even yeah. though we'd known each other from primary school. <laughs> I love just... that, by the way. That is so cute. He was my boyfriend at primary school. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> love it. That um, um, so we just we were just going on quite a few holidays and taking trips and things like that. Yeah, and having then, a good time. Yeah. And then um, I met one of my friends who's a pharmacist at Tesco Pharmacy and she was like, mm-hmm. oh, why are you collecting the pill? And I said, she said, do you not want children? And I was like, no, not yet. She said, you do realise that the more you take the pill, the more it can like mess up your system. I said, no, I don't <coughs> like oh, her. No. She didn't sell that yeah. to me. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I said, oh, I have PCOS. And she said, you really shouldn't be taking the pill. So I just stopped the pill straight away. I went home oh. to my husband and I stopped taking the pill. And he was like, what, what was the reason that she said? I said, I don't know. She just really like frightened me by saying that I shouldn't take the pill if I have um, PCOS. And she then told me that the pill is, doesn't give you a real period. It's just a bleed. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're ovulating or anything else. And that's when I went into panic mode that, okay, let's come off the pill. So uh-huh. six months later, still nothing. And I thought... Really? Yeah. I thought, okay, this... PCOS thing is definitely real. Yeah. yeah. So I think around about, so we got married in 2011 and then I'd missed my period. I don't know how this happened, but I'd missed my period for two months. And in January, 2013, I found out I was pregnant. I don't know how it happened that I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And I've still got the records on my phone. It doesn't make any sense for me to be pregnant. But, and I was still, and then I started bleeding okay I started getting these really bad cramps mm-hmm. and I just knew that something wasn't right and I went to the GP and they said oh don't worry it's your first pregnancy um people often bleed blah blah mm. blah and I was like okay and they didn't do anything and then I think three weeks later that was it I just mm. went to the toilet and I heard plop oh <laughs> and gosh. that was it um so we then thought oh okay this is okay and I remember going to the hospital and them saying, at least you know you can get pregnant. Oh, oh old chestnut. Yeah. yeah. That's, I remember the nurse saying that to me. Infertility bullshit bingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. They did the DNC. And um, at this point, we had already started, you know, going to our GP to say we want to be referred for fertility mm. um, investigations. And then they just took us off the list because I'd gotten pregnant, oh, but no. I'd had a miscarriage. And I said, well, does this mean that I'm not able to carry a baby? What's the reason that, you know, it was literally... So there and then gone, I got pregnant. I had, I'd missed my period. Is this normal? And they said, you know, you can get pregnant. Don't worry about it. You know, don't try, um, use protection for six months and then try later. Use protection? Yeah. Okay. I was like, no, I'm not using protection. That's not in my vocab. Like, yeah. <laughs> not that stage, babe. <laughs> so um, we obviously didn't listen and started trying straight away. Nothing. Six months mm. later, nothing. A year later, nothing. Um, oh. 2015, we... Um, no, mid-2014, we went back to the GP and said, can we um, be referred for fertility treatment? No, I, re- I specifically remember him saying, you guys are so young, why are you in a hurry? Oh, fuck off. Why are you in a hurry to have children? Oh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> we need to make a bingo card, don't yeah. we? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And um, he looked at our files and said, you're what? You're, you're, what? you're 29? You're, gosh, like, do you have a career? What do you want to do? And I was like, hey... Like, what I wouldn't do with my life is nothing to do yeah, with him. Yeah, it's not really his role. Exactly. Career counsellor. Yeah, he was he was really rude and really up himself. And he said, um, just keep keep trying. And I said, look, I've researched this drug called metformin. Mm-hmm. And he said, don't, don't go on Google. I said, no, I wouldn't try it. Because apparently people who have PCOS have gotten pregnant on it. 
and he reluctantly prescribed it to me. And Gosh, um, good on you. Yeah, it was. It was only because I met someone when in Basildon Hospital, I'd passed out, and she said, "You have to be firm with your GP, otherwise mm. they won't prescribe anything because everyone's trying to save money." So I was just like, "Well, I know my rights." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know your game, um, so we, um, he prescribed it to me and it just didn't go well with me. And okay. I ended up passing out at work again, being taken to the hospital oh. and being pumped with morphine just because the pain was just out of this world. Um, and I went back to him and said, look, the, um, the metformin didn't work for me. And he said, um, okay, what happened? And I told him, he said, no, metformin would never do that to anyone. I was like, I'm pretty sure it did. <laughs> I've right. got my discharge letter from the hospital yeah. to say that I was in there for about four or five days, um, with pain. He said, no, it doesn't do that. Anyway, doctor, what's the next step? He said, well, we can try you an IUI. I was like, look, I've been married since 2011. It's now 2014. I don't want to try IUI. I just want to, you know, go for IVF. And he said, well, no, you know, you need to go for laparoscopy. I said, I've already had that. And he said, well, where's the notes? I said, well, I don't know. When I transferred over, they must have transferred something to you. And then he told me to go look for the proof that I'd had the laparoscopy. What? Uh, yeah. I said, I don't have the proof. It was at Basildon Hospital if you want to go and check their records, you can go and do that. But yeah. I don't have anything physically with me. I just thought it was on my notes. Um, so a few months had passed and we then decided that we was going to go to seek fertility help ourselves. So we went to Bourne Hall and we spoke to a consultant there who was so lovely. Mm. And she said, um, why do you want to pay for this? And we said, oh, you know, because we want to have kids. And she said, you live in Farrock. Do you know that you can get free fertility treatment? I said, yes, okay, well, our doctor won't refer us. And she said, well, if you're willing to wait a couple of months, I'll write a letter to your GP recommending that they put you forward for um, IVF. I was like, oh, oh my, my God. God. That's so kind of yeah, her. So you were going to yeah. pay. And yeah, we, we, we were willing to pay. We'd got we'd yeah. put our savings. Um, we'd said, this is how much we've got. This is what we'll do with it. And um, the doctor was really <laughs> peed off by her letter. She cannot tell me what to do. Who does she think she is? Oh my God. Um, I said, well, we're entitled to it. Um, And he said, well, you've got to go for another scan. You've got to go for all these tests, all these blood tests. So we we, we went for the blood test. What was it? The day 21? Yeah, yeah, testosterone. Which is really stupid if you've got PCOS. Yes, because obviously it's going to be out. Exactly. So we did all of that. And then um, I then had to pay for each blood test result to be printed out on a piece of paper. What? So, yeah, and that was five pounds per print. Wow. I'm pretty like, sure that's not an NHS standard. No, it's just the GP. Yeah, oh, no, GP. Yeah. Not a cool guy. No, he's in, he's retired now. So. Thank God. <laughs> Good. Um, so we paid for all of those tests. Um, we went to Broomfield Hospital and they said, look, we can't see that there's anything wrong with you. Mm. I said, what do you mean? I have PCOS. And they said, yeah, but everything seems fine. Your husband's fine. I said, well, we want a baby and (laughs) I don't know how it's going to happen because we've been waiting quite a long time. And they said, well, this looks like it's unexplained infertility. And obviously my question was, well, what does that mean? And, you know, it's Everybody's got an opinion, haven't they? (laughs) It's it's unexplained. They couldn't give me any answers. Um, So, and they said, why do you want to do IVF? I said, because we've been trying for so long and I don't think IUI will work. Um, He said, have you tried Clomid? And I said, well, I don't even know what that is. I don't, I feel like I've been trying my whole life and I'm not, I I was really impatient. I didn't want to go through how many cycles of IUI than six cycles of Clomid to see whether it would work. I said, my body's been through a lot. So I'd rather just do the the IVF. And um, they then referred us, they then referred us to our CCG for the application for fertility. Mm. And um, 
they just wrote to us and said, yeah, it's, you've got the full funding for the free full rounds. Wow. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Thank you, right. doctor. <laughs> <Vaughan> Hall. <laughs> so, um, we, yeah, we just started our treatment 2015 okay. at Hall Clinic. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, she went through everything with me and she said, look, you've got PCOS, so there's a chance that you might hyperstimulate. Yeah. And obviously, I'm just really excited. So what's hyperstimulation? Uh, it just means you might produce more eggs. I was like, great, more <laughs> eggs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wasn't prepared for what hyperstimulation really meant. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I'm trying. I think I've forgotten everything. So how many days you normally stimulate for? Is it ten? I think so? I did. Yeah, ten, ten, yeah. eleven. So I did almost eighteen days, which is unheard of. Um, they wanted to cancel the cycle and they just said your follicles aren't growing. There were so many of them, but they just were not growing. So right. was, it, was it 16 centimetres or so? Was it? Millimetres. Yeah. 16 yeah. centimetres is that quite big, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like a lot of little rulers. Monster yeah. size rulers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'd, we stimulated for about 18 days or so. And then egg collection, I think it was 21 eggs. And I went into hospital for five days with the hyperstimulation. Um, and all they can do is give you morphine and put yeah. them on a drip. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny funny because at Basildon Hospital, no one knew what hyperstimulation was. And I was, we were literally opening Google, like, I've had an IVF treatment. And they were like, well, you know, that's that's not, it's not likely that IVF would give you this. So, oh, my oh, God. Really? <laughs> so um, after being on a stretcher for 10 hours in their, um, in their A&E, we then took ourselves to Darren Valley. And they were like, okay, great. Okay, this is what it is. This is what we're going to do. And I was like, oh, thank God. That there's a hospital knows. who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for five days with hyperstimulation. They did a transfer and it just, it didn't work. Um, they, you know, used the two week wait, which is like the yeah. longest two weeks yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, I think by day seven, I'd started bleeding. They said, oh. don't worry. It doesn't, it could be implantation bleeding. So I was like, okay, cool. This still might work. Yeah. Right. Like, no, it was just, it was negative. And that was absolutely heartbreaking because I thought in my head that, if you have IVF, A, you're going to have twins, B, it's just going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was my ignorance. Standard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't realise everything else that came with it. So that was heartbreaking. Yeah. So uh-huh. we then had to wait three months before we started another cycle so oh, my body could adjust. And that's just the longest that three way. months. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so three months later, we started again and they, they upped my gonal F um, okay. dosage and I didn't stimulate for as long. And then... We did egg collection. As soon as they were doing egg collection, I was just feeling really ill and I was hiccuping. And they just cancelled the cycle. They said, look, you're hyperstimulating already. We can tell. And that was devastating. The fact that we just collected all those eggs and nothing was going to be done with them. Um, So I was then taken by ambulance to Darren Valley again with hyperstimulation. And um, they give you the daily course to let you know how many eggs have um, fertilised. So by the time I got to day five... Mm. How many eggs did they... No, how many eggs did they freeze? They freeze 19. Okay. Wow. 19, yeah. So we then had to wait another three months because of the high stimulation. December of 2015, we bought a new house and we said, okay, great, we're going to do our frozen transfer. So they said, how many would you like to fall? And we thought, okay, well, let's just take a gamble and do all of them. Wow. And only one made it. Oh, really? Wow. Out of 19, only one made it. Um, We did the transfer... Again, two week wait, and it just didn't work. Oh. So it was just at this point, I'd reached, I think I'd gone through like depression, suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. It was just getting a lot because yeah. I felt like my body was, my, my body was really tired. Um, and I just lost hope in absolutely everything. I just thought this, 
this isn't right for mm. someone to want something so badly and it just be this hard to get there. Yeah. And then you see people around you who are getting pregnant and you're just thinking, this is it's crap. Hard. This is, yeah. yeah. And um, like, I'm a Christian and I've, I've always held on to my faith. At this point, I was just like, I'm not your friend, God. Yeah. I don't like you at the yeah, moment. Yeah. I'm not your friend. This isn't what you said. This yeah, isn't, yeah. This isn't what I believe in or anything. Yeah. It's just this is your plan. This yeah. Is a shit plan. Yeah. It was just, it was, yeah. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It was just really, really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And at that, um, I think one of my friends had given birth and I remember saying, mm. I just holding on to her little daughter and I was crying my eyes out. Just like, oh my uh, God, I really love yeah. you, but you're not mine. And she just wipes my tears and I was like, oh my God, I want my own baby to do this. Mm. Um, so 2016, yeah. we then... I think I'd got to the point where I was just like, I don't care anymore. We'll do this last one because, you know, it's been paid for. But I was at that stage where I was like, I don't care. And I remember walking to the clinic and them saying, Kimmy, how do you feel? I was like, I don't feel any way. I genuinely genuinely have no expectations. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm at peace now. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been going through this for five years Mm. and enough's enough. There's only so much that I can take. And I went into it relaxed on my own terms not because someone else told me to relax but just because I thought this is be out of my control there's so many things in life that we can control and this is definitely one of them that we have zero control over. yeah yeah um and I was just okay with it I was having a great time and everything and then a collection again I have assimilated was no. in the hospital and I I decided to like document that just my journey and I was still like okay, even if this amounts to nothing, well, maybe I can publish the video and Mm -hmm. help someone with it. But then we did the transfer. And I remember on the day of the transfer, um, I was discharged from hospital the day before and the lady, the consultant said, you don't look well. On the morning of the transfer, I was, this is so graphic, I was, I had diarrhoea and I was throwing up at the same time. Oh my God. It was just, I was so ill. I could, my husband had to carry me to the car. In the car, I was just, just, I felt like it, I was just totally out of it. Gosh. And we had to literally, like, I don't know, prepare me to walk into the clinic by and myself. Try and be fine. Yeah, try and look okay. He's yeah. like, Kemi, if you walk in there and they sense that you're ill, they're going to cancel it. So I was holding in, like, nausea, everything. And she just said, you don't look okay. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine. Everything's I'm fine. fine. <laughs> yeah. And she said, okay. So we had two um, um, two embryos and we said, well, no, we're going to transfer two, even though the NHS don't allow that. Mm. Um, they only say one. I don't yeah. know why, but yeah. And um, But our consultant recommended that we transfer two because it was my final round and yeah. it was the third time. And she said that after this, she wouldn't recommend any more treatment. Okay. And the lady said, was like, no. I'm not going to transfer any of them. I'm going to have to send you back home. And I was like, you don't know how far I've come. You cannot do this. And I remember she, her going away saying she's going to speak to someone about it. My husband and I, we just held hands. We just said a little prayer. She came back and she said, okay, we're going to do one. We'll just transfer one. And I was like, thank you. Oh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, and then we did the transfer. And I just felt so good about everything. We went on a little um, retreat. And then I had bleeding. And I was like, babes, I'm bleeding. He's like, don't worry, don't worry. And then we did the, the I feel like crying. We did oh. the test on the 12th of November and it was positive. And oh, wow. oh my God. You must have just fallen to bits. I just cried. I cried my eyes out because where you see um, the two lines mm, yeah. back in 2013 and you think, okay, great, I got there like on my own. Mm-hmm. And then you just constantly see negatives. And obviously in between the IVF um, 
treatments when your period doesn't show up because of PCOS. Yeah, you do you a think test. That you do a test. And <clears throat> I've spent so much money on those stupid uh, yeah. tests. tests. Yeah. I've been to the pound store. I've done tests at work without telling my husband because mm-hmm. he kept saying, stop buying these yeah. tests. And I'd just do it at work in the toilet and just cry myself throughout my whole lunch hour. And it was just such a relief to see those two lines. And then you then go through the whole thing of is the baby going to stay? Mm, Am I yeah. going to miscarriage? Um, but it was just great. We went for the eight-week scan. We heard the heartbeat. It was just it was just amazing. And just to know that we finally got there was amazing. I think I've just told the longest story ever. No, I think it's, no, no, no but it's taken us all on your journey. But it's the incredible. thing is, like, so it's a really happy ending for you, yeah. but that's not the ending, is it? No, it's not. Because, <laughs> so you've got Samuel now. Yeah. Who... I, you know, we've seen pictures on Insta and he's so... Adorbs. Lush. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and he's how old? Two and a half. Okay. Yeah. And then what happened? Sorry. <laughs> I so, um, I thought that infertility was my story. Yeah. I felt that, you know, let's raise awareness, let's break the taboo, especially within, like, the black community where no one really talks about it. Mm. Uh-huh. And then um, I started breastfeeding Samuel in 2017. That was a year. And I don't know, when, you, when you're not breastfeeding, your breasts go hard. They just go hard. If you don't breastfeed for like a long time, mm. they go hard. So I just thought that the lump that I felt in my breast was the breast milk drying up. Uh-huh. And um, I just, it, it really hurt. But then when I, I remember that when I was breastfeeding Samuel, that there were times where, you know, he'd sleep for long periods of time. I'm like, no, Samuel, you've got to have these, you've got to do something to these boobs because they need to go yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these puppies need yeah, some attention. They, they need it. So I just thought that was it, that just because we were stopping, that that's what it was. And um, so in April of 20, April, 20, April last year, um, it was, there was a lump at the side of my, my breast and everyone's got this little lump in their boob anyway. So I thought, okay, it might not be nothing, but it really, really hurts. So let me just speak to the GP and see yeah. what he says. And he said, um, over the phone, so with our GP, you call, they give you a call back before you can go in and see them. It's really long. Okay. So he called and he asked me loads of questions and he said, okay, if it hurts, it's probably nothing. And I said, okay. But he said, because it's a lump, you have to come in and I have to assess it. So I said, okay, okay. great. So I went in and he was feeling around. He said, I can't feel a lump. I was like, you, either you're stupid or I'm stupid because is this the same guy? No, no, no. Okay, this right. is the <laughs> not that guy again. Um, no, this guy happens to be the head of all the doctors in my borough as well. Oh, so, right, yeah. okay. Well, yeah. yeah. So he he felt it and he said, "There's definitely not a lump there." And I was like, "No, it's there. Look, it's here." And he said, "Well, okay, I can't really feel anything, but again, because it's a lump, I'm going to send you to Basildon yeah. for um, a check because that's just um, that's protocol." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, "But trust me, it's, it's probably nothing because um, cancer doesn't hurt." And I was like, "Okay, phew. well, maybe it's a mm. what's those called? Um, breast mouses or a cyst yeah. or something." Yeah. So I thought maybe it was that. So we then went for the scan. And just being in that room is just like the worst thing ever because you're just in a waiting room with a group of women with robes on and everyone is looking Shitting sad. Yeah. yeah. And you know who's got good news and who's got bad news because oh, people God. with the good news come out looking relieved. The white, those who are crying has have obviously got the bad news. Fucking and um, yeah, it's it's really, it's, it was horrible. So she scanned me and she was like, oh, are you still breastfeeding? I said, no. And she said, oh, okay, you still got, look, she showed me on the screen. She said, your milk is very active and your breasts are busy. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? She said, it just means you've got a lot of breast tissue. 
that it's hormonal you've just stopped breastfeeding you've just given birth blah 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 go away it, it's gonna it will go away and I was like okay great so I called my husband and I was like babes it's nothing mm. and then I noticed so this is April May July I noticed that the lump was getting bigger it was moving towards my armpit and it really really hurt just lying down was a nightmare so I went back to the GP and it was a lady that I spoke to and she said don't come in I'm just going to send you to Basildon straight away it was the same lady who scanned me at the hospital and she was like oh you're back again I said yeah she said why I said because the lump's gotten bigger and she said well nothing's changed it still looks the same and there was a student in the room and I'm normally the type of person that if there's a student in the room I'd like you to ask for my permission for them to sit there and they didn't ask and in my head I was thinking bloody cheeky woman she couldn't even ask me if I wanted this girl here Mm -hmm. blah 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 but it was that lady the young student who said oh that doesn't look right what is this what is this and she was using all this medical language I didn't understand and then the sonographer went and got um, a second opinion. And before you know it, I was having a biopsy. I was being sent for a blood test. I got called back the next day to go in for a bone scan, come back for a mammogram, come back for another biopsy on the other breast. And I thought, for a woman who told me that this it- is breast milk and nothing's changed, this is a lot of investigations that you're doing. Um, so they told me to come back on the 16th of August, which um, happened to be my dad's 60th birthday. And um, we'd like planned this really big surprise um, dinner for him and everything. And they said, come back with someone. And I was like, why? And they said, oh, it's just something that we do for everyone. So I thought, okay. Oh, yeah. So we sat in the room. The doctor asked, the consultant asked me about, you know, what I do about my, about Samuel. And he said, I'm sorry to let you know that you have breast cancer. And I was just, I just, I think the whole, I just literally wanted the whole world to just swallow me up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I just burst into tears. And to be honest with you, everything that was said in that room, I do not remember. No, of course not. Um, <clears throat> I just switched off. And I, the one question I asked was, how long do I have? And they was oh like, don't God. worry, we're going to treat this. Breast cancer is the best type of cancer to get, if oh, that makes sense. How reassuring. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All I know about cancer is that people die. Yeah. Mm. You know, my, one of my closest friends died at age 13 from cancer oh, when gosh. I was a teenager. So... I don't know any good stories about yeah. cancer. Um, so they would just give me all this information and um, we then remembered that we had private health care. And um, yeah, so we went through, we went private, same consultant. And he, it's, it was just been the past almost year has just been the toughest. I thought infertility was hard, but going through this journey has been, yeah, it's been a lot. Yeah, I think that was one of our questions, wasn't it? It was like... like... (laughs) To compare. No. Um, Well, I guess my first question is like, so what kind of treatment did you have? Um, So I've had a full mastectomy with reconstruction. I had a Dieppe flap, which is where they take the fat from your stomach and some of the skin. It looks like an an eye shape. Mm -hmm. And then they removed all of... To call, yeah, remove all of my breasts and then use the fat there. But I didn't have enough fat in my stomach because I'd spent all this time trying to get rid of the baby fat. Oh, God. And then there was like, you don't have enough fat. I was like, oh, my oh, God. So I started God. eating more chips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did, I've had that. And then I went through four, six months of chemotherapy, three uh-huh. months of really intense one where what you see on TV in terms of people getting ill is real. Okay. Um, and then I had three months of not so intense and that was every week. And then I went through a month of radiotherapy, which I've recently just completed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and now I'm supposed to be on, well, I, I, no, actually, I'm on injections called Solidex, which I have every month in my stomach. Okay. And even though I have no feeling, like if I touch my stomach, I have no feeling, mm. but the injection is that big that it goes that deep that I feel it. Oh, in, and oh. that's to um, 
stop the estrogen because the type of cancer that is it's estrogen receptive and I remember when I was diagnosed all they kept asking me was are you on the pill are you on the pill and I said no and they said but you've got high levels of estrogen I said I'm not on the pill but I have PCOS and they said no are you sure you're not on the pill when was the last time you took the pill I said I, I I've took the pill like 2011 yeah and then I said but I've had four rounds of IVF and they just went silent and I was like okay do you think that IVF had something to do with it and they said, well, there's no tests or studies to show. Uh-huh. And then I went on to Google. And there are lots of cases where people have had multiple rounds of IVF uh-huh. and have then developed estrogen-receptive breast cancer. And okay. I was like, I don't remember this being a... Uh, no, when the you risks. Get, yeah, no. of IVF. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember seeing that. And the GP said, no, it definitely is. I said, I definitely don't remember that. But even if, I guess, even if it was, you'd never think that, oh, yeah, I'm going to have IVF. That means I'm going to have breast cancer. No. And um, I just had to program my mind to think that Samuel's definitely worth it. I'd do it over again, over and over again. Um, And I guess I had to to say to myself that I'm not going to die. I'm definitely going to live. So Mm -hmm. whatever you need to do, do it. You need to take away both my boobs, take them away. And I got to the point where I realised that this is all, it's all physical things. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's take it away. If you want to put implants in it, you can do whatever. Technology's come and medicine's come so far. So whatever you have to do, do it. Because I want to live to see Samuel go to school, get married, have children. I want to see my grandchildren, mm. you know. So that's my, that's my goal. And um, I remember them saying that chemotherapy could take away my fertility. I thought, well, I don't really have much anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem for me, mate. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we were at Guy's for quite um, for a number of months, them trying to figure out when to do um, egg collection. I said, wait, hang on a minute. If I do egg collection, doesn't that mean that I have to almost go for an IVF cycle again? And they said, yeah. And I remember the consultant saying to me, do you want to risk having estrogen in your body again? for the sake of having another baby. <clears throat> yeah. And I was like, nah, you're right. And I spoke to my husband, I said, babes, I don't think I want another baby. I'm not willing to risk any sort of cancer or my life to no. have a second child mm. when I'm so, like, this, having Samuel almost seemed impossible. Unexplained uh-huh. infertility. We almost thought it wasn't going to happen. So the fact that he's here, he is enough. He's more than enough. He's a blessing. Yeah. So if Samuel is the only child that we're going to have, then... So be it. That's not a bad story if that's, you know. Yeah, that's it. So we just said that we're not going to go through with it. And um, so I now have to take tamoxifen, which puts me in menopause. Yeah. So, you know, as I've sat here... I've already had like two hot flushes. Oh my god! Oh, do you want to take No, because I'm going to get really cold. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's man. really weird, but um, so I have to take that for the next ten years. And yeah. all they keep saying, "You cannot get pregnant. You cannot get pregnant." It's like, wow! I've spent how many years going out of my way trying yeah. to get pregnant, mm-hmm. and now it's like reverse. I'm trying actively not, not to get to. pregnant because I feel like my life depends on oh, depends god. on it. God. And so has your cancer treatment ended so to speak apart from the the tamoxifen yeah it's it's all ended um and it's really weird because it ended and i got to ring the bell which was great um but the bell yeah so at the end of chemo you ring there's this um i've got it on my phone it's um there's a rainbow and you read out this little poem um, and you ring the bell and all the nurses come out take pictures with you and it's it's just it's just an amazing just to signify that it's all over and where it was private healthcare, it was just such a small team of nurses. And I made 
I, I call her like my my nurse mum. Her name is Tracy. Okay. She was absolutely amazing. Like we're still in contact and everything. And like she held me when I cried. Like she was just all, she just sat through all of my treatment with me because we all, you always had your own room. But she was always there, just hugging me, just really reassuring me that it was going to be okay. So when I rang that bell and she was there, it was like we'd gone through this together. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all pretty over. Special. Yeah. Um, so well, congrats. It's Thank over. you. Yeah. yeah, so but I was waiting for them to say to me that you're cancer free because you know you see people say, "Oh, I'm yeah. cancer free," and <clears throat> they're like, "No, we can't say that to you. There's no guarantee." And I was like, "Oh, oh, okay." <laughs> so <laughs> what does this mean? Yeah. And they just said it just means that there's no cancer cells that we can see. But he said a lot of people do have cancer cells that are dormant, that nothing happens to them, and this is the reason why I take the tamoxifen mm. so that it kind of s- stops my body from producing any estrogen. So I was like, okay. Encouraging. Wow. Yeah. Um, how? I mean, you talked a little bit there about you know having to be put in menopause and the fact that you you're not going to have any more children. Mm-hmm. How did you come to terms with that? What did you do to kind of mm-hmm. make yourself deal with that? Have you dealt with it? Um, I think. Do you well, want a tissue? I try. I'm trying not to cry. Um. I think when I look at Samuel, um, I'm just so grateful. Mm. And I just thought, as much as I would love baby number two, because we've got one embryo that's frozen, mm-hmm. and the thought of me saying to them, Dis- discard that embryo mm. would absolutely like destroy me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would like, I would have liked to have a child. And uh, my husband and I had always spoken about adoption from yeah. before we'd gotten married. And... I used to go on this holiday and stay with a lady called Megan in Devon and she adopted, like, everyone. I, I said that she had the house and I called her United Colours of Benetton because she had <laughs> kids of all races. <laughs> and I thought I'd love to be able to do something mm-hmm. like that. So that was always on the cards. Um, but I look at Samuel and I think that he's such a blessing yeah. and I wouldn't I wouldn't risk my life yeah, no. just to have another child. I'd rather just be everything that I can be for him. And we had bought, we'd because we'd waited for Samuel for so long, everything that we bought for him was pretty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> pretty expensive. Like everyone, Top of the range, baby. It was. Yeah. It, he, he really was. And everyone spoiled him because I felt mm-hmm. like everyone was on the journey with us. Yeah. So a lot of things I didn't want to let go of. It was, you know, you put things in storage for baby number two. Yeah. And... There were two of his drawers. There's only, you know, the Chester drawers for mums and puppies. So yeah. the top drawer was the only one that was being utilised because mm. the bottom two were all of his old stuff. And I just refused to throw things away. And it was just like last week when I messaged you, Emma, yeah. that um, the cleaner came over. She was like, Kimmy, what are you doing with all this stuff? And I said, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought, you know what? Time to, it's time to let go. Even though I said that we don't want to, we're not doing the egg collection or anything anymore. In the back of my mind, I thought, oh, but what if, you know, what mm. if after 10 years, you know, I can still have a baby, what if, what if? Yeah. And I just thought, you know what? No, I need to come to terms with it and I need to accept it. And I just started folding the clothes and it was one of, it was, I was in the house all on my own and it was, I cried. Mm. I literally just broke down. I just sat in Samuel's room and I just cried my eyes out that, okay, I'm never going to use these things again. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I do, it'll be just to help a friend or something like that, but I'll never get to, like hold a baby and I felt that with Samuel um because it was a c-section and he was premature I felt like I didn't have the option I didn't have 
it wasn't my choice in terms of like how he came and mm. things like that. I yeah. didn't get to hold him for 24 hours. I didn't get to do the things that most mothers do within the first like three weeks of having a baby because he was so small. We was always at the hospital. I just felt that the experience with him wasn't your typical textbook one. Yeah. So that was really hard to let go of. And um, yeah, just... It's hard. Sorry. It's so hard. You've done so well. Yeah. Do you feel like this is therapy? The only person that I really told was my husband. I haven't actually said it, like, really yeah. said it out to anyone. I just felt like, I don't know, a part of me is like, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm grateful. So mm, yeah. I'm kind of like shutting a lot of feelings away just because I feel that I'm still here like I remember getting my diagnosis and the doctor said you're going to make it the lady who went out before you we couldn't do anything for her and I saw her go out crying Mm. and I just that keeps ringing in my head that the woman before me I don't even know she's still here Mm. you know you know her diagnosis was completely different so I feel like I've been given a second chance and you know I'm grateful for it but that instinct is like still there and yeah, just for like a long, the whole fertility journey, it wasn't by choice or anything. Yeah. And then this again isn't by choice. So it's, I feel like there's so much that I'm having to, to deal with. But on the flip side, I'm like, oh, I'm just so happy that I'm alive. Yeah. You have gotten through it and yeah. you have picked yourself up every time and kept going. So mm. like you, you obviously are a very strong person. And, you know, I think it's, it's inspiring to probably to everyone that's listening. So I guess, you know, that the... the one of the questions that we did want to ask, and it, it seems kind of stupid, really, to ask it, but how the, the two experiences com- have compared. Because, like, infertility is hard and people don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Whereas cancer is really hard. But do people understand it more? Like, do they... Do you get less kind of twat comments? No. You get the same number of idiotic comments. People are still, people are still sh- like... Do you get the same number of people going, well, at least, blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah, so okay. the doc, the consultant was, like I said, he said, you know, breast cancer is the best type of cancer to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, really? Like, oh, do you normally right. say that to everyone? And then um, a couple of weeks back when I went to see him because my arm swelled up after radiotherapy, he told me I was fat. Um, so I mean, that's that great. Yeah, just, and you're not yeah. ridiculous. You're so not. I was just like, you know, I'm going for it. And he said, look, I know you're going through a lot, but you can't just sit down and do nothing. What? Excuse oh my me? God. You have a child. <laughs> I said, I'm not sitting down doing anything. I said, do you know what? You actually told me not to work. I, w- I was working throughout the whole thing. Chemotherapy, it would take you. So if I had chemotherapy on a Friday, I'd be sick all the way until the Tuesday. Oh By the Wednesday, God. I was back working. So don't tell me that I was sitting there doing nothing, yeah. you know. And um, so God, my husband and I really... You've got some seriously bad luck with know. doctors. <laughs> I don't know I, why I keep attracting them. I <laughs> so I just thought, well, I d- I'm definitely not lazy, but, you know, I, I, do, I have been eating chips. Chips is fish and chips any day, yeah. every day. Yeah. I would eat it. That's yeah. my favourite food. So I did say, look, I have been eating a lot of chips, but... You know, I, I felt like it was exaggerating a little bit until someone at church said to me, oh, I have to do the accent, actually, to have the full effect. She was like, Kemi, what are you eating? Your face is fat. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my I said, God. I said, really? She said, yeah, it's very fat. And she was like, doing wow. that. I just went away and I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to be rude to you. No. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do Deep it. Deep breath. Yeah, and I just walked away. But then I did an Instagram post on it. I was like, if you read this, leave me alone or whatever. But yeah, it was just, it was, 
I knew that I'd put on weight. Um, they did say because of the injections and the radiotherapy that I would put on weight. But yeah, comments like that. And he, he told me, can you go and lose weight? Because lymphedemia only happens with um, obese and overweight people. Oh my and God. you're overweight. <laughs> you're not, over- I'm looking at you. Yeah. I'm looking at you with a critical eye. You're not overweight. Thank you. You're so, hot. Thank oh God, thanks. Let's <laughs> all be body positive right here, A. And B, you're not overweight. Yeah, so... Um, I decided that I was going to be healthy anyway, especially after the cancer, because you know mm-hmm. they did say cancer cells feed off sugar and things mm. like that. So I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not a sugar person, okay. but I'd noticed that during chemo, I started eating a lot of chocolates, which was really strange for me. So I cut out the sugar again, and I've just started eating the right foods. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of you do a lot of research, and people on this alkaline diet where mm-hmm. they're basically vegans. Mm. I was like, well. Yeah, I don't, I don't, vegans still get cancer, so I'm not going to be a vegan, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I've cut out red meat and there's just certain other things that I've cut out, but I'm not, I was very hungry just being a vegan and just yeah. not going to do it. Yeah, no, don't do that. So chicken and fish, I'm okay with that. Good protein. Good. Yeah. 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 Um. So I guess we've... We'll finish the interview and stop torturing you with oh, our that difficult questions now. But what, what you know, somebody who's in a similar situation to mm-hmm. you, what would you, what would your message to them be? I think it's the mind. For me, the battle's always in the mind. Mm. And um, my husband and I have always said that if you can win upstairs, then you can win it in everywhere. And that's one of the things that really brought me through, especially the infertility journey. Once I'd gotten over depression and wanting to kill myself and thinking that my husband would be happy if he married someone else who could give him a child mm-hmm. um, and realised that, actually, no, this is, it's more than yeah. just like physical things. It's stuff that I can't control. Yeah. Um, I was okay. Once I really started living life, um, I started ignoring the, I'll oh, just relax, go on holiday and just thinking I'm going to do yeah. things for myself mm. and just enjoy it. And I'm not going to stress my body out. I was okay with the cancer it took me less than 24 hours to accept what had happened and say do what you need to do Mm. because I realized that if I start think overthinking about things and stressing things out stressing myself out and thinking what if or you know what if I'm not here what's going to happen and things like that then I'm just going to stress my body out I mean to the point where I didn't even have a will because I was that confident that I'm going to beat this. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I was just like, take take away the boob, you know, put whatever you want in there. I don't have a nipple at the moment. You know, they're talking about tattoo, tattooing the, what's that thing called? The aola? Or, or yeah. Or whatever it's called. Oreola? Yeah, I want to say that Oreola. Thing. <laughs> that thing. Um, we don't need, we don't know, know enough about boobs, do we? No, we, we don't. <laughs> know loads about vaginas. <laughs> yeah, it's the vagina interview that we did. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't have that. And, you know, they're, they want to do that in three months. And I was like, oh, I don't actually care. Yeah, yeah. Because I've gotten over the physical, like, it is what it is, you yeah. know. Um, and again, I've just I've just really reconnected with my faith. And I just thought, well, yeah, I'm just positive thoughts, happy thoughts. This is, this is added to my story. And if I can talk about it and let people know that you need to, A, know how to check your boobs. B, with infertility, that we would get through it, you know, there's such a, mm-hmm. especially with the trying to conceive community, I mean, look how I've found the mm. both of you, mm. the community is literally what keeps me going, which I never want to be evicted from, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just great, just surround yourself with people who, A, understand you, and mm-hmm. as long as you're comfortable with talking about it, I think that it will help you as well, so, yeah. like with the cancel, though, we, we told a small group of people, just because I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me, mm-hmm. that was 
the biggest thing with infertility I felt like a lot of people felt sorry for me and it's so easy to get caught up in the oh yeah yeah I am going through this but yeah. with the cancer it's just like no guys it is what it is I've lost my hair I'm wearing a wig yeah you know whatever yeah, I've got yeah, no yeah. got no nipple guys you know I've got to go back and have more they've got to take some fat from my thighs and you know because I've got a dent in the boob okay. the boob is a bit higher up it's the boob yeah the boob that's the what boob. I call it it is what it is and um yeah, just I'm, for me, it's just that as long as I can live to tell the story and encourage others, then it really keeps me going. So. Good. Well, well, I think you're probably one of the most inspiring people we've had on here yeah. before. Yeah. And one of the strongest as well. So thank you so much for sharing your story. for me. Okay, guys. So now it's time for Professor Tim. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, we are talking to him about cancer. Um here's what he said about what you've just heard. Is there a link between cancer and IVF treatment? So it's a big question and there have been lots of studies over the years looking to see whether having fertility treatments including IVF possibly increases the risk of various conditions including different types of cancer. Now one thing to be aware is that we know that some types of cancer are more common in women who've not had children. So, for instance, in women who've not had children, they are more likely to have breast cancer and ovarian cancer. So, therefore, you can see straight away that that might be a problem for studies because, obviously, many women who have IVF, they're having it because they've never had any children beforehand. So, instantly, they may be in a slightly higher risk group than other women who've conceived naturally. Once you pick that apart and once you, you take away the fact that perhaps needing IVF in the first place may mean you're slightly more at risk, then it has not been shown that IVF itself increases the risk of breast um, or ovarian cancer. And there have been studies going back to the 70s and 80s uh, that have followed up women who had treatment back then that have not shown an increased risk of breast and ovarian cancer in women who've had um, IVF. Again, once you control for the fact that they may be at slightly higher risk anyway, as I said. Now, the only slight caveat on that is that there is a type of um, tumour called a borderline ovarian tumour, which is quite a strange thing. It's not um, cancer as such, but it's something that, if left alone, could become malignant. And there have been some studies suggesting that with IVF, there may be a very slight increase chance of borderline ovarian tumours. But again, the studies are quite poor quality studies um, based on some of them quite low numbers of patients and it's it's a maybe. So I think the bottom line is that um, certainly breast cancer is a very common cancer. It does not appear to happen more commonly purely because someone has had IVF treatment. Um, ovarian cancer is less common than breast cancer but again um, the normal type of malignant ovarian cancer does not appear to be more common in women who've, who've um, or IVF does not appear to increase the chance of having it. Okay, um, and what would you say to someone who's maybe going through treatment and worrying about it? I would say that um, there's different ways of looking at it, really. So we know that in women who've had children, that can reduce the chance of breast and ovarian cancer. So therefore, in some ways, having IVF, particularly if IVF is successful, then that may actually reduce someone's lifetime risk. And overall, we're talking very, very small differences anyway. Um, so... Uh, I can be very reassuring that these, these large studies that have been done over decades and decades um, from uh, big population databases from different countries have not, have not shown an increased chance of breast or ovarian cancer because of having IVF.
Are you able to say how common it is for women to get cancer after having IVF? Well, most of it really um, is, is, again, because we don't think IVF increases the risk of having cancer, it's, it's just the background rate. So it's you know, one in seven women get breast cancer and around one in 80 women get ovarian cancer in their life. So to be honest with you, having IVF doesn't really change that um, or doesn't appear to change that at all. That's just the natural background rate. So if women are concerned about these cancers, then um, the same for any woman who has a concern, particularly if there's a family history of breast or ovarian cancer, then it would be certainly as much information as you can get online, but obviously talking to the GP um, uh, as well, that would be a good first port of call. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Professor Tim. Okay, that's the show. Um, Emotional one. Emotional one. Um, Next week, we're talking about something a little bit less emotional, although still quite emotional. Um, We're talking about egg freezing. Interesting. And it's, Gabby, it's an interview that I did face to face. Oh my God. I know. It's with Catherine Hendy of Alanza Wellness. Wow, pre-corona pre-corona interview um Catherine came the to glory my house. days yeah we oh, had a really nice God. chat I wish I could come to your house I know mate I know so do I I miss your face so much um but yeah it's an interesting one so in the meantime thank you to Liz and Nick thank you to Professor Tim Child massive thank you to Kemi for sharing her story huge thank you to Kemi thank you to Acast as well Thank you to Acastia. Thank you to Emma. Thank you to you. Oh, thanks, mate. Okay, Uh guys. Have a good week. See you next Tuesday. (laughs) Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 